Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Contrera Show. Here we are, December the 2nd. Coming up on the podcast, Uber Eats plans to deliver things that aren't edible. Well, that's not too confusing. And Christmas is coming, so why wouldn't you want your house to smell like your favorite rapper, I ask? Plus, we'll be joined by Christine Van Gyne. She'll talk about your civil liberties that need to be protected during the pandemic. But first, let's talk vaccines. Big story today is that the UK is authorizing Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine for emergency use. They could start inoculating people, their their frontline healthcare workers, as early as next week. Jason Kinderchuk joins us now. He's associate professor and Canada Research Chair in Emerging Viruses at the University of Manitoba. Good to have you on so early in the morning for you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Kelly. All right, so let's talk about what usually goes into... Um, approving a vaccine for use. Yeah, really, you know, what, what we're looking at right now is uh, kind of a, a change in, in what usually happens. So with the phase three clinical trials, you know, we're, we've seen tens of thousands of volunteers that uh, have either received uh, the placebo or, or the actual vaccine. And this has been basically, a, you know, a randomized cross-section of people. Um, so we get all age groups. We get people of uh, different uh, ethnic backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, and these are people that are, that are you know, prone or, or potentially susceptible to natural infections. So they're out working in their environments or, or out in, in their communities. Um, and so far, the data has suggested that we have this really high efficacy. So what's been happening is that during this entire phase, um, a lot of this data has been dumped back to uh, the different um, uh, health organizations. So places like Health Canada or FDA, uh, as well as their equivalents in, in Europe and beyond. Um, and that data is basically being accrued and being analyzed in real time. So all of this is basically, it's fast-tracked in a sense that the time frame is much shorter, but there's, they're not cutting any corners in regards to what type of data is being viewed and how, you know, the, the type of scrutiny that these vaccines are, uh, are currently going under. But correct me if I'm wrong, stage three tri- trials are not yet completed, even in the Pfizer vaccine. So this uh, pushing things through for emergency use, you're still talking about using what is an experimental vaccine. Yeah, and, and I think part of this has to go back to, you know, when we think about phase one and phase two trials. So they've gone through, we've looked at, at obviously, the, the potential safety concerns. Um, you know, we've seen trials that have been stopped because there have been potentially adverse events, but those have been recognized as not being due to uh, to the vaccine. Um, so the safety profiling is still going through the, the same scrutiny. But what's happened is that they've actually met their benchmarks as far as where they needed to be to actually get emergency use approval. And of course, there's, you know, there's this decision that has to be made of saying, okay, do we basically risk, um, you know, kind of going through and, and not basically fast tracking an emergency use to get a fuller spectrum of data? Um, when in fact, if we were to release this, we may actually be able to, to save lives when we know that the efficacy um, ha- has already been met. Um, and there's, of course, the other side of saying, well, but you also uh, are not going through the full process um, right through to licensure, um, you know, which has always kind of been what we've done traditionally in the past. And, and I think we're, we're kind of striking a balance with that. Certainly, um, these vaccines, whether it's Pfizer or Moderna vaccine, uh, are, are underneath uh, a massive amount of scrutiny, probably more scrutiny than, than any vaccines in history. So I, I think that they're certainly being very careful in, in how they release these. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about teams of people that can expertly read and uh, decipher what's going on in the data or uh, there's they're not doing their own tests. They're just kind of going through the reams of information, aren't they? 
Yeah. So, so what happens is that basically the, the companies are releasing all the data that they that they have back to both uh, the the you know the monitoring boards within the the respective health uh, approval organizations, the government organizations, but as well what we've seen in the U.S. is this uh, these um, creations of independent monitoring boards, which are basically uh, experts from in the from within the community that are independently looking at this data as it's being released, and they're actually looking and basically scrutinizing that data much as they would with a traditional therapy or vaccine going through an approval process. So, you know, we're, they're, the companies are still adhering to the, the, the traditional um, data releases as, as they've kind of done in the past. It's just that they're actually doing it in real time rather than waiting for the completion of the phase three trial and then basically providing all the data en masse in, in one uh, kind of cogent package. Right, because we have a global need for, for yeah. a vaccine. Um, speaking of think, looking at things globally, it, this was probably the first time we've ever worked on, you know, globally on, on the race for a vaccine and everybody's been sharing information with people and, uh, working towards getting a vaccine. If not, you know, one, we're looking at several candidates because we will need more than one. Uh, I think we have four right now in the process of, uh, of getting uh, approval to fast track here at Health Canada. So that's some good news. But why didn't they look at approving it in a global sense? Like if Pfizer came out and said, okay, we, um, we're in stage three trials, which they have said, and things are going well, we think that this could be used for emergency use. Why didn't we put together a global team? Wouldn't that have been better to look at it so there were more eyes on it and we could get approved globally? Yeah, you, you are definitely asking the, the, the questions that, that will probably haunt us as we, as we move forward. And, and certainly, uh, I think we will start to look at things more globally. Certainly, um, you know, we have always been worried about this idea of, of a new global pandemic beyond influenza. Um, but we didn't necessarily have the preparedness in that aspect. So I think there was still this reliance on going back to different regional uh, health authorities for their own approval. Because, of course, things in Canada are maybe different than what they are in the U.S. and certainly different than what they are in Europe. Um, so we, we haven't had this kind of this cogent, overarching, um, you know, kind of global monitoring board for uh, for looking at things like fast track approvals on vaccines or therapeutics. I think COVID will hopefully change that. I think we will see, um, you know, the partnerships being created uh, across the globe to to basically try and and uh, you know uh, address some of the um, you know the the roadblocks that we've seen with this. Um, but it, but it certainly is something that we haven't had in the past. And and I think part of that again is you know when we think about pandemics, we traditionally think about influenza. And we, we haven't thought necessarily or prepared for that kind of novel virus or that new disease that we haven't seen before. Um, it, this has really given us, I think, a kick in the pants to say, okay, we have a lot of cracks in the system and, and we need to start thinking about these things truly from a global perspective. Okay. So speaking, I know you don't have a lot of time with us. That's why I'm, I'm rushing through here, but I really want to know why is Health Canada slower? Because we they seem to be slower and we have seen that with, with approving several things during this coronavirus. Do we just not have the amount of people, the bodies that need to go through all this data that can uh, speed things up for us? What's our deal? Because we would like approval so that we can start getting our vaccines. Yeah, it's a great question, right? And I think part of it comes back to really what Health Canada's mandate is as compared to the FDA. And I think part of what they've tried to do is ensure that they are not being influenced by what the FDA does. And I think they want to be able to show Canadians that they have that independence. Certainly, we've seen that the FDA uh, in the past has approved therapeutics very quickly that maybe needed to go through additional scrutiny. Um, so Health Canada, in, in some ways, yes, when we, when we look at things like diagnostics or we look at things like therapeutics, um, we, we are you know certainly behind 
behind a little bit in terms of the timing of when those things get approved. But I think we also have to appreciate that the amount of scrutiny that they're going through um, is based on actually ensuring that the safety of Canadians is at the forefront of all their decisions. So I, I I think we will see some changes moving forward as, as we get out of COVID-19 in how maybe they, they work with the system. Um, but certainly it's always been based off of trying to remain truly independent as an organization that serves Canadians directly. Interesting. Well, Jason, I thank you for your time. As always, it's a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Take care. Cheers, you too. Jason Kindrachuk is Assistant Professor and Canada Research Chair in Emerging Viruses at the University of Manitoba. I was reading this article about our COVID-19 pandemic and how it's changed our civil liberties. And there's no doubt about it. We've, you know, willingly, some of us not so willingly, some of us unknowingly given up our civil liberties, some of them over the past you know, early days in the pandemic and right through to now uh, to slow the spread of COVID-19. These are small sacrifices. The question is um, the compromises that we've made as far as our freedoms go, are these going to be long lasting? Do we have to worry about that? Legal experts who specialize in personal freedoms have spent most of 2020 making sure that public health restrictions don't go too far. Here to talk about that, I want to welcome to the show uh, Christine Van Gyne, uh, Litigation Director for the Canadian Constitutional Foundation. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. So let's talk about our rights and freedoms. Can you give us a few examples of our personal freedoms being that, that concern you the most that may have been infringed upon during this pandemic? Yeah, so there are a lot of personal freedoms guaranteed in the Charter, for example, freedom of conscience, speech expression, assembly, association, the right to leave Canada, travel between provinces, and the right to life, liberty, and security to be free from unreasonable search. A lot of these are implicated, for example, by gathering restrictions that implicates our right to freedom of assembly. Um, mandatory mask orders touch on our liberty rights, although I would say that it's a, it's a minimal infringement on our liberty rights. Um, travel restrictions impair our mobility rights, and police have been caught digging through our health records. That violates our privacy rights. And, of course, freedom of religion is being infringed by uh, gathering limits in churches, temples, and mosques. So there are a lot of things that are happening um, with these COVID lockdown measures and restrictions that touch on some of our most fundamental personal freedoms. Is that why uh, the, the right to uh, gather and the freedom of assembly, is that why the police were so slow to act at uh, Adamson's barbecue last week? Hey, I don't, I don't know why, what, what was going on at that place, but I mean, the thing that concerned me about watching what happened there was just the sheer amount of police presence at a restaurant. Um, and what I would say about business closures is that they're a little more complicated because the right to carry on um, a business and engage in economic activity is actually not enshrined in our charter. Um, we do have a long established common law right, but it's already subject to, uh, subject to a whole lot of regulations. So um, the right to life, liberty, and security, that's a right that we have as individuals. It's not a right that businesses have. So, Okay, but what, Christine, I just want to interrupt, if I could, just for a second, because you're on the, the right to security, right? So where do other people's, where do the right the rights to be healthy and, and be secure intersect with people saying, you've taken away my freedoms? Like, where's the line of intersection between my right to safety and somebody saying, I have a right not to wear a face mask? 
That's a really great question. So that is in uh, it's sort of contemplated by the charter. Um, we have all of these fundamental rights I described, um, but we also have something called the limitation clause in Section 1, and it allows governments to justify infringements on certain rights. And the courts have developed a test to say when a limit on our right is, is, uh, is justified. And one of the things the courts will consider is when the objective of the limit is itself related to protecting other fundamental rights. So for, in your example, the requirement of a of face covering impacts our liberty rights, but it's done in the interest of protecting the security of person and life of other people who may um, be, have con- may contract a virus from you. I mean, that's a really complicated balancing test. I think in that situation, in the case of mandatory masks, a court would likely say mandatory masks are a justified limit on our rights because we're we're trying to protect vulnerable people. But there are other examples. For example, um, in in restricting gathering limits for churches, um, those may not be justified because it's a very fundamental uh, freedom, freedom of exercising your religion, and it's at a very crucial time. We're coming up to Christmas, and. There are all kinds of other measures that can be piled on top of uh, with, without having a, a gathering limit. For so example, masking, um, spacing people out inside a church, um, having a large room so and, and people aren't talking. I mean, all of those things should pe- keep people relatively safe. Look, we don't know where a judge would come down all, on all of this, but I think we need to question if governments are really using data and evidence to make these decisions and if they really are in the interest of public health. Christine, you talk about um, how legal experts, they're working to preserve our our civil liberties. Uh, Should these kind of restrictions have time limits written into the law? Is that what they're doing? So in Ontario, they certainly do. The reopening of Ontario Act has, um, has sort of done an unusual thing where they have carried forward a number of emergency measures and those measures get renewed. Um, I think it's every, it was previously every two weeks, but now it might be a little longer. And if they are not renewed, then they lapse. So um, they are already time limited. Okay. Historically speaking, when our uh, personal freedoms have been suspended, how likely are they to be restored once a threat is neutralized? I think that it depends on what neutralizing the threat means and and if the threat can really be neutralized. So, for example, after 9-11, a lot of our civil liberties were impacted and things did not go back to pre-9-11 uh, conditions in terms of our, our rights and freedoms. So, I mean, this is a, is a different situation, but uh, because, you know, in theory, we can eradicate this virus. But the question remains, you know, if if something else comes up um, that's a different virus, will we have to go through all of this all over again? And we don't have the answer to all of that. That's why we need to really jealously guard these rights. If these limits to our rights are challenged, could we could we make it harder to place emergency restrictions in the future? So if if we did a legal challenge of some yeah. of these uh, restrictions, um it depends on the outcome of the legal challenge, right? I think that if a legal challenge is successful, then yeah, it might be harder to impose these limits 
in the future, especially, you know, governments would look and say, you know, we have this precedent of a court struck this down, but we're not there yet. I mean, my organization, we're currently in a search for plaintiffs who would be interested in challenging uh, some of these lockdown measures, especially in provinces like Manitoba and Ontario. Um, if any of your listeners are interested in getting involved in our legal fights, um, they can visit the ccf.ca. But we, we are looking to, to have some of these challenges because if we are successful, then we can stop the gov- stop governments from, you know, uh, we, can, we can better define the contours of our rights. What are you looking to challenge? Like what's, on the, what's on the um, dartboard? So I think some of the, the strongest ability to challenge would be um, for sort of expressive activities that have a strong community or associative element. So, for example, a community theater where everyone, um, it's a small theater and everyone wears masks inside and it has a large space. I think that could could make a good, uh, a good plaintiff or a religious organization. In Manitoba, um, churches are being prohibited from even having drive-in services. I mean, what, what public health goal is being served by that? None. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are sitting in their cars. I think that's a, a great example of a place where uh, the restrictions are arbitrary and aren't based in any public health rationale. Well, I wonder how much of it had to do with uh, what went down in Brampton when we saw uh, the drive-in service. And then, you know, there were people saying, well, there's a bunch of cars there and, hey, well, I might as well go. And they were all crowding the parking lot outside of cars. So that's problematic, obviously. It could be. But I think that the... the um, the demographics of Manitoba are all different than the demographics of, of Brampton. So like the religious services might be, might be different, um, be of a different type of nature. So it's, it's very context and fact specific. And we're looking for a plaintiff who, you know, who believes that COVID is real, that they are, are concerned about the spread of the virus and they've done everything that they can to protect their, uh, their members or their their patrons or, or people in their business from uh, from being exposed to the virus are very health and safety conscious, but despite their best efforts, have still been shut down by governments um, where there's very little evidence of spread. So in uh, the Toronto Sun today, you saw an article that said um, 0.1% of spread in Ontario is taking place in retail, yet small retailers have been shut mm-hmm. down. What do you think of that letter? Uh, You know, a bunch of even large big box retailers have signed their name to this letter asking the premier and the health minister to just, even if you're in lockdown, to open things up and minimize the amount of customers that can come in instead of locking everything down because they're unwittingly sending crowds into places where there's no lockdown. Yeah, absolutely. It makes complete sense. I think what what everyone said when... um, when the lockdowns on small retailers were announced. I mean, it's just, it's common sense. You walk into Costco or Walmart, it's completely busy, but the little bookstore up the street from me is shut down. And I, I swear, like, that store must have 10 people in it over the course of a week on a good week, but mm-hmm. they've been shut down. <laughs> so it just doesn't make sense. And I don't see how the government can rely on a public health rationale when there's a lack of public health evidence to support that position well based on how passionate you just got about that bookstore i'm going to guess you're going to do a lot of online shopping at the bookstore and curbside pickup i am yeah absolutely christine i want to thank you for your time it's been really informative thank you very much for having me on have a great day christine van gein litigation director for the canadian constitution foundation we're just talking about 
how uh, those retailers, 50 of them, asking the government to please just reopen things and maybe limit capacity in stores, if you don't mind, because we're seeing crowding in other stores, and this is only going to spread COVID-19 while you're trying to limit the spread of COVID-19. There's a new delivery. I don't know if you've noticed this. Boy, I went shopping on, it wasn't Black Friday. I Truth be told, Friday, I checked out of life for a while. I took a big, deep sleep. So I missed the whole Christmas, Black Friday shopping online business. I did it on Saturday morning because the deals continued through the weekend. And um, I ordered on Saturday yesterday. One of my Christmas items was delivered from Saturday shopping. I thought, wow, wow. that is that is much quicker than expected. Because when you order, they say, because of uh, higher delivery demand, your order might take a little longer than usual. Well, because of that, Uber decided that they will get in on the delivering of retail goods over the holiday seasons. You can order um, through Uber Eats, in fact. It sounds weird, but Uber Eats has partnered with select Canadian retailers to give customers same-day contactless delivery options through Uber, Uber Direct, they're calling it. But it is uh, the same people that uh, deliver the food. Body Shop, among the retailers available to order from in the GTA through Uber Eats app. How confusing is that? Going into Uber Eats now and starting to shop? That is so weird. Yeah, it, they're going to have to change the name to Uber Delivery if this really yeah. takes off. And just, yeah, we, we deliver everything. Here's the food section. Here's the candle section. Here's the body butter section. Wow. Did uh, you have to bring up candles? Now I'm going to have to go to a story that I had saved till later. But I, I, oh. let's just, let's skip ahead, shall we? Drake, he is releasing, he's getting into the candle business. What what doesn't he have his hands into? Drake is <laughs> has released these new scented candles that um well there's five different scents. One of them smells like Drake. How vain are you when yeah. you decide it's time that people know what I smell like? What exactly does Drake smell like, smell like? He smells like musk, ambers, cashmere, suede, and velvet. What the hell does look at Thank you, Dave. I have a velvet jacket. It doesn't smell like anything. That is so weird. Smells, there's something wrong with it. It's mold. Yeah. It, well, it's your must. velvet smells. No it smells good. like B.O. because you haven't had an opportunity <laughs> to take the dry cleaner to get it to get cleaned. Because you can't just wash a velvet jacket at home. You have to dry clean it every once in a while. You know, it might get a little funky. So let's just say, let's just appropriately talk about what drake probably smells like then with that in mind musk amber cashmere doesn't have a smell either a goat's belly suede so a cow's hide and <laughs> funk which is velvet you gotta have the funk i don't mind funk i gotta admit i do like the funky smell that my husband smells like when he comes in from his chainsaw working out there doing a little <laughs> chainsaw action with the trees comes in. You just bring that that over here. You bring that funk over to me. Um, is that too much information? <laughs> a little bit. I think we're all a okay. little uncomfortable now. <laughs> Are you awkward in your home place? Are you awkward in your car? <laughs> I apologize. You know what I mean, though. Everybody's got a funk they're attracted to. Uh, so Drake is releasing this candle. The other the other four candles smell like sweeter 
tings, sweeter tings. What is a ting? I don't know. Actually, I do know what a ting is. Isn't it that lemon drink? A ting? That's ting. You, you can get it at... No. No, ting is orange. Ting is uh, ting is a lemon. Caribbean drink, I think. Oh. And it's really good. Yeah, it's carbonated beverage, popular in the Caribbean. I love it. It's grapefruit juice. But that's not and it's tart and sweet. And it either comes in a green plastic uh, bottle or glass bottle. I do like Ting. You get a, you get a, a good uh, roti and a Ting. Mm. That's something I don't else. Think that's what he means. I had to do <laughs> that's it. <something. laughs> oh, no. I had to do it. I'm that in smells an odd like fromage. <laughs> it doesn't smell like fromage at all. Okay, so let's go back to the Drake candle thing. Um, Williamsburg sleepover. It's the name of the candle. Good thoughts and Muskoka. Oh man, everybody on Lake Joe, everybody on Lake Rosso, <laughs> that is just a license to print money. When you start making a, a Muskoka blanket or candle or framed map, it's like all the yummy mummies from Oakville that have their Muskoka mansions. They just go bananas for that stuff. Um, by the way, Drake's candle that smells like him, Carby Musk, I checked, sold out. Oh, too bad. Maybe you How can much do you think that it cost? Ah, uh, candles are expensive. I don't I, know. Right? I'm guessing a Drake candle would probably cost somewhere around 40 bucks. That would probably be like a votive. Do you really want to know the price? Yeah, Dave. Okay. Um, Sweeter Tings, Williamsburg Sleepover, Good Thoughts, and Muskoka, $48. Uh, Chris while knows Carby Musk retails at $80. Whoa! You that's want the, that? That's the you high want end. that Drake funk? You got to pay for that funk. <laughs> um, can I? Yeah. Can you? Uh, does it tell you the particulars of the sweeter Tings candle and what it smells like? Grapefruit? Because uh, I love grapefruit. No. I don't you know, know why I love grapefruit? Here's a little factoid. Here's a Cliff Clavin factoid for you. Grapefruit. Fruit. If you're wearing the scent, it it gives off the perception, the perception that you're five years younger than you actually are. Oh, really? I, I'm yeah. just wondering because Drake's whiskey. I have it right here, actually. Oh, I'm do you? What does it smell like? Douchebag? Virginia Sorry, Black. that was uncalled for. I apologize. Dave, can you roll the Adele disclaimer if you find it in my hot, in my hot buttons? Please roll it because I want to apologize to everyone. I don't even know what Just because I said it don't mean that I meant it. Just because you heard it. I don't even know what end that came out of. I apologize. Sincerely. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me today. It's a good time today. to take a break. <laughs> no, you were going to say something about his whiskey. It smells kind of sweet for a whiskey. Oh, does it? Yeah. Well, like baby aspirin it's sweet? Called... <laughs> not, not quite. Just a little, like not, you know, you, if you smell a scotch or something, you get like a peaty sort of smell. This is a little bit more on the. Not like, okay, what is it? Sweet. A little. Fruity? Fruity. Uh, I'm not sure what notes grapefruity? I'm picking up here. Grapefruity? Make it, Maybe put some of that. You know what? Take a little bit of that Maybe. spritz. Put it no, on your neck. I want to see if you appear right, to yeah. be five years younger on the rest of the show. He did it, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see if all of a sudden he gets in touch with it. <laughs> I'm his... wearing whiskey. Yeah. Um, did I buy you that? It's 945. You did, did I buy, buy you that? something Thank you. pretty? 
Yeah, thank you very much. This is brought to you, the Virginia Black in my home. It's brought to you by Kelly Kutcher. All right. Hey, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Don't forget, we also host a live show between 9 and noon, Monday through Friday on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. If you can join us, please do. Otherwise, we'll see you here again tomorrow.